Hello, my name is Dr. Mati Flachwayo Davis. I'm the associate editor for the COVID Health Equity Resources section of the COVID-19 Real-Time Learning Network. The COVID Health Equity Resources section offers a collection of educational and training materials, research articles, and resources that are curated to help medical professionals and institutions provide equitable COVID-19 care. Check us out at idsociety.org forward slash COVID-19 Real-Time Learning Network forward slash COVID Health Equity Resources. You know, as a fellow, what obstacles and struggles have historically impacted the careers of women or even you being able to think about your career as a woman? And how have they intensified during this COVID-19 pandemic? Personally speaking, I'm from India. So that added a different or additional layer of obstacles, if you will, to everything in addition to being a woman and like the first woman who's ever migrated out of my family to the United States. But even being here, how can you be something that you cannot see, right? It's very important for representation for young uh, trainees like me to be even aspiring for something. And the general perspective of medicine as a community, uh, we need to have representation from different aspects of life and all sorts of career trajectories so that women can look up to that. Again, personally, mentorship, sponsorship, that always is something that you don't know how much or how to get from leading women in the career. Those are the things I have personally faced. But again, it's very uplifting also to be in this panel and to see all of you and also to see more representation in leadership and panels for women. And I think the pandemic, and at least in the last decade, we have seen a trend towards women having a much more bigger voice in things. Again, I'm going to go back in history and say whenever I created the Women in ID Twitter platform and I was celebrating women in month of September for women in medicine, I was going through the write-ups about um, Dr. Rebecca Lee Crumpler, who is the first African-American female who uh, became or first got MD, AAMC website, and not to call anybody out here, but said that there are no pictures of Dr. Crumpler known to exist. So these are the kind of things that you deal with for somebody like a trailblazer like her to not have a picture that's existing anywhere. You know, (laughs) you probably wouldn't deal with that. For the other people that we just talked about, including Elizabeth Blackwell and another person that I can uh, talk about is Dr. Ann Preston, the first dean who was first physician to become a dean in a United States school. She could not even find jobs. So she had to like co-found a new hospital and start college for women, medical students. And then she became the dean of that school. So these are the kind of things that we have to do to set a path for ourselves. We have to be self-motivated and have to put in 10 times the effort that might get another colleague. Uh, the same way. So that's just so profound. Thank you for a the history lesson that's very specific to 
our community. For me, I'd heard for the first time around, you know, Dr. Crumpler not even having a picture to her name. And it made me realize, yeah, I've always heard her name, but I've never seen her face. To be literally faceless when you do so much for the medical community is, is an absolute aberration. And then to talk about the fact, you know, I, I've, I've used this phrase before, right? If, the, if, if we're not going to be invited to the table, we'll build our own. And to hear that is very tangible in the way that you described it. But to know that that still happens now, you know, I relate so much to you as a fellow. And there were not always people that I could relate to, Black women in medicine that I had access to when I was in training. Um, that didn't happen for me until very late. And then to now also find myself as a person who's, who loves a very, you know, specific but newer lane, right, around community-engaged practice, which it's not new. Let's call a spade a spade. It's not new. It's just not as traditionally valued, right? I had to look for non-traditional routes outside of academia, and that shouldn't be happening either, right? We shouldn't have to leave academics to see the fulfillment of our goals. So for that to still be the case in 2022 tells us that we still have a long way to go, and I, I really appreciate that perspective. Lila, what were you thinking here when we start talking about this question around what obstacles and struggles have we seen historically impact women and how much has that been worsened in the, in the pandemic? So, you know, kind of going with the same themes, I mean, I think it's the role models. I come from Guatemala, so Latin America, where the society um, seeing women working is very much what you would expect sometimes in the 60s, 70s here in the U.S., being a role model and, and finding role models have been key. I have been very fortunate not to have just uh, good role models, but a lot of he for she's, men who actually sponsor and mentor you. So uh, a new term that you know came from the Women in Medicine Summit that is put every year is called something called Spenter, but that was coined by Julie Silver, which is a sponsor and a mentor. So it's not just mentoring, but sponsoring. And so having that actually helps a lot. Those are the obstacles that most of us struggle through is to have that, not just the mentor, but the sponsor. We can find a lot of mentors, but that sponsor, when to give a talk, when to do that. I've seen myself in a dual role right now. I mean, still in a mid-career in academics where I need, you know, that spender, but I'm also at the time where I can sponsor and mentor people coming up. As a woman, as a, as a Latina, for me, it's very important, you know, not just to speak the language to my patients in Spanish, but to understand the culture and understand where they're coming from. As a foreign medical graduate, I see the struggles, you know, I mean, it's not an easy pathway to come and to go back and say, this is what I did, or go back and be able to say, yes, it's been a struggle. Yes, I left there, but I'm here to help you. That's the other thing. And so during this two years of the pandemic, where the challenges were of seeing women who knew, you know, about infectious disease abroad, the part of being able to do it through Zoom helped a lot. So that's one. The other struggle is that we still have a lot of barriers. I mean, you know, we still have, you know, the famous glass ceiling, it has never been broken and it's always harder for, you know, uh, BIPOC. So, so, you know, people of color is harder. The effects of what happened with the racism that we have expected. So as you can tell, people always say, oh, you're Latino. Well, I'm an Asian Latino. So there's a growing community of Asian Latinos in Latin America, and people don't know that. Mm -hmm. So there was also a kind of a setback against that. So 
the discriminations, the slurs, the disparity has been great. That is a struggle. And I think that hits us a little different, each of us at a time. The health inequities, um, trying, you know, how, how can we help better our communities at the same time balancing the needs that we have our different hospitals and academics. It's multifactorial, what we've struggled through the years, but also had to open a lot of doors for us to be out there and, you know, at the same time be vulnerable and not be ashamed of what we do and be very brave and very intentional on how we present ourselves and how we do our work every day. So I think we I'm seeing less struggles, seeing more wins than struggles that we have. Hi, I'm Dr. Kim Hansen. Advance the career of your colleagues by encouraging them to apply to become a fellow of IDSA. Visit idsociety.org forward slash FIDSA. Really digging into intersectionality and how much that plays a role and how much that means that there isn't a copy and paste approach to overcoming those barriers. Because um, like you said, you represent a group of women that's not even really identified or seen much often, right? And that within itself poses a problem for your professional development, but also for the patients from those same communities that are also may not feel seen, right? I just really appreciated that you named that intersectionality and spoke to it in such a tangible way. Argavon, what does this look like for you? I guess I want to highlight a couple of things on the societal level that have really become more visible as struggles during the course of the pandemic that are relevant to, to this conversation today. So one is racism, as was already mentioned, that so we had two major events that led to increased awareness. One was the murder of George Floyd, which led to in the summer of 2020, that uh, kind of national reckoning, which now sitting here in 2022, many are saying, was there a lasting impact of that? Or are we all just back to doing everything the same as we were before? Which is not a question I think we're, we're suited to answer today, but that's the context that we're having this conversation in. And the other around racism was the steep rise in hate crimes against the Asian community, including murders, right? We have a number of attacks in the street and beatings and so on, but, but also targeted murders, the most recent one of which was just, I believe, last month, or it might have been earlier this month um, in New York. And so that continues. So we've got that going on in our society. We've had attacks on women's health specifically as relates to abortion and questioning um, among a number of different local and state governments in this country, whether women have the right to control our own bodies. This is a conversation that we're having in 2022. The Supreme Court has yet to decide, right? They haven't come down on their decision on SB8 or the other one in uh, Mississippi. So this is a question, <laughs> like people are treating this like a legitimate question do women have the right to control our own bodies in 2022? And that is just mind blowing. The other kind of issue that a lot of these things have raised for us is the need for disaggregation. So we've already talked about women as a whole are not a monolith, but also within each of these groups, even to say Asian women or Latina women, mm -hmm. even Latina, Hispanic, that whole idea of what is, what is that category even? It's not a category. It's a bunch of different peoples lumped together, just like Asian is a bunch of different people lumped together under this title. And, and so we need to work more on disaggregating where we can. Of course, these titles and categories came about because in some way they're useful, but at the same time, I think we're sophisticated enough now to understand that 
these are not all one people, right, in any one of these categories. I mean, even the fact that even if you want to talk about white, I was filling out a form recently and North African and Middle Eastern were categories under white. So if you're not convinced that race is a social construct, I feel like that's pretty strong evidence. And then we talked briefly about sexual and gender minorities earlier, um, which their rights as well are being, uh, have come under attack more severely in the last couple of years, whether you go back to, you know, bathrooms and, and who has access to what bathrooms, but even now, currently today, 2022, people talking about teachers outing students to their parents and all sorts of really human rights violations that are being considered as potential law in states in this country. So that's the context. So specific to women in the workforce, I would point out just a couple of things. One is that when we look at the labor reports that come out, you know, every month, the Labor Bureau puts out statistics of who's entering the workforce, who's leaving the workforce, and so on. And what we've seen over the course of the pandemic is that the women, so first of all, that women have been more negatively impacted by the economic harms created by the pandemic than have been men. And second of all, we've seen that Black women, Latina women, and women with disabilities are the groups that have been the most negatively impacted of all the women. So we've got to do some work to support everyone, every woman, but especially in those groups that have been more marginalized and more excluded than have um, some of the other women. And in medicines in particular, the things that I think we're really, really doing a bad job of are supporting people with childcare, on-site, early morning hours, late evening hours, heavily subsidized or free should be the standard. Parental leave, meaning for any parent, whether they have adopted a child, whether they have birthed a child, whether their partner birthed the child, however they're growing their family, they should have access to paid parental leave, and it should be a heck of a lot longer than what anybody is getting. You know, if you look at countries in Europe, people are getting six months or a year, up to 18 months, and we are struggling to give people just a few weeks of paid leave. It is a shame and an embarrassment. The last two things for women in medicine are related to valuing our work. So this happens actually outside of medicine as well. The work that women do is important and yet not valued by organizations and by the people who evaluate us for a promotion. And specifically, I'll give you a couple of examples from the Women in the Workplace report that came out in the fall from McKinsey and Leonin, where they showed that DEI work and supporting employees' well-being are two areas that employers say is work that's important to them. They say that they value that work. And in both those areas, DEI work and in well-being work, it's more women who are engaging in that work. Mm -hmm. Yet, only a very small minority of those organizations actually formally recognize either of those categories of work. And it's the same type of thing that we've talked about for years in medicine, where women are more likely to do service work, women are more likely to um, take on educational responsibilities and mentor trainees and not get valued or rewarded for any of that work. And we've got to change that. And the last thing I'll just say is research support. So there are a lot of women scientists out there and they have been hit really hard with the pandemic because of the lack of childcare, the lack of support for families, the lack of parental leave and so on. They've had less ability and time to apply for grants and to have funds to continue their research. And we need specific targeted funding to support women scientists. And I'll stop there. No, I love that. And the way you talk about disaggregation pushes systems to be specific, right? Every single organization and hospital worth a dime has a DEI statement. We all know them, right? And I roll my eyes every time because they're quick to slap those up. But then you talk to those women and I know, had I not had a female program director, I had 
colleagues at a major university who are pumping in closets, you know, when they went back to work. I know myself with my first child, I stopped breastfeeding early because I just did not feel empowered to really self-advocate for the need to find pumping schedules right within clinic and the sort of eye roll from colleagues and the feeling that I was passing off work or even just protected spaces in order to do so. You kept saying this is a lot, but it's not a lot. Like what you were saying was exactly what needs to be said, right? There's a compounded issue that women are facing all of these assaults, I I would call them at the systemic and, and societal level, and then come to their places of work where they're supposed to be advocating for themselves, for other women, and there's no support structures in place there. And it compounds the issue and is the reason why we shouldn't be shocked to see women flee at the rates that they have. So I love that you brought such important issues to the table and we're willing to name them by name and speak to them so specifically, Argarvan. It was well worth the time. The views and opinions expressed here are those of the presenters and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Involvement of CDC should not be viewed as endorsement of any entity or individual involved with the podcast.